Howdy, howdy. If I don't have this, I will get as lost as a fart in a whirlwind, boys. All right. Guys, it is great to be back down here. Yeah? All right, well, Zach keyed it up, the poser. Um, what is a poser? All right, I'm gonna get right in your chili right now. To put it bluntly, it is your flesh. Your flesh is a weasel, a selfish pig. Okay? But you are not your flesh. That is the enemy. He has told you that, and he's got you wrapped up in this pose and all that it means. Basically, what it is, is keeping us from stepping into the abundant life and authentic manhood that our Father has promised us and calls us into, and our pose is killing everyone that's around us. Okay? We'll get to that later. The dictionary says a poser is a person who pretends to be what he or she is not, an insincere person, someone who attempts to impress others, someone who affects some behavior, style, attitude, or other condition, often to impress or influence others. The word is almost always used with a negative connotation conveying the skepticism we have for those who put on airs. Anybody relate to that? Oh yeah, every freaking one of you. Okay. Poser is a mask, it's a defense mechanism, the false self. What we want, to, what we want the world to see, not our true self. We are desperately afraid if the world saw the true me that what I am would not be enough that I do not have what it takes. It gets in the way of men discovering their true heart, their true selves, and who God created them to be. We have forgotten who we are, or maybe you've never even known who you are. That's why we pose. The poser is a thief, and he's trying to steal every freaking thing that we've ever owned, ever wanted to have, and ever thought we could be. <sighs> okay. John Eldridge says, we are hiding every last one of us, well aware that we are not what we were meant to be. Desperately afraid of exposure, terrified of being seen for what we are and are not. We have run off into the bushes, like Jeffrey talked about last night. We hide our office at the gym, we hide in sports, our hobbies, video games, work, alcohol, you name it. We really hide behind our personalities. Um, and most of what you encounter when you meet a man is a fake, brilliant disguise. Is any of this ringing them true with y'all? Any of y'all feel this? Are y'all afraid that you don't have what it takes, that you aren't what you meant to be? You feel like there's something missing in your life, that you walk through this world, that you go to work and you find all your identity in your work, you find your, your purpose in your work, but work sucks because it's really kicking your ass and you're not getting anything done, okay? And especially with all the crap that goes on nowadays. And you just know it, you know that longing in your heart. And scripture says that God placed eternity in our hearts. So that longing that you're feeling it's him calling you home, and the pose is hiding it. Because we think that what we got ain't enough for the rest of the world, or for our wives, or for our kids, or whatever else. We think because we're wrapped up in the lies of the enemy, and he's robbing our joy. He's stealing, almost got a little too colorful. He's stealing every freaking thing that we got because he wants us to stay where we're at because the longer he keeps us right where we're at, the longer the world keeps struggling and crying out for real men to come in and lead their families and step up and lead their kids and be where they need to be. But as long as he's got us wrapped up and wondering about who we are instead of going to the one that who, who says who we are, we're, we're, he takes us out every time. Mm. Okay. 
So Jeffrey talked about this a bit last night, Genesis 3.10. It's right after Adam stands there and watches Eve pick the apple or the fruit or the mango, banana, whatever it may have been. Um, she was seduced by the enemy and Adam stood there and did nothing. We always blame the women saying it's our, their fault because they picked the fruit. Scripture says he was standing right beside her and she, he did nothing. He didn't knock it out of her hand, didn't pick her up and run away. He just stood there and then joined in with her and did it. He became passive. So then, their eyes are open to what to sin and everything else, and they go and hide. God's walking through the garden in the, in the afternoon. He comes in. He doesn't come in all pissed off. He doesn't come in like a drunk father or something like that. Where the hell are you at, Adam? He comes in. Adam, where are you? Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And we've been hiding ever since. We're hiding behind everything except stepping into what we need to be doing. Um, there's a side of posing that we think just affects us, okay? We think that if we are good enough or if we work hard enough or we have the right physique, that's apparently not my problem. Um, I was taken out because I got such a ginormous freaking head that I don't have to worry about the physique side of it. Um, as long as he can keep us wrapped up in that, he takes us out, we're completely done. So, <sighs> Caleb, talking about posers. Where are you at? Oh, there you are. Okay, I'm gonna let you talk to a guy that I know fairly well, so I know he's a big time poser. <laughs> now, let me put it this way. He's a reformed poser. Yeah? Okay, Caleb and I want to step into this for just a second. Um, they were talking earlier about a Jonathan and a David in Scripture, and how close they were. That's me and Caleb. We were dear, dear brothers. Um, we met in Man Academy, so here's a shameless plug for Man Academy. When we get back, they're going to be pushing that. Get your butts into Man Academy. It's just a great place to be. That's a natural thing after boot camp. Uh, Caleb and I met in Man Academy. God had a connection there, and we've been running ever since. So when I heard his story, I was like, this is a natural place for him to be, um, to tell you about how posing has affected his life and what got him to where he's at with it. So, Thank you. Hey, guys. Um, yeah. Uh, I got a whole bunch of notes, and I don't know if I'm going to use them. Please don't. You're probably lucky. First off, the opening song, Rattle, guys, awesome, because that song will wreck me every time, and I was bawling back there after these guys were praying for, for me to come up here, and I get, I get my four-year-old asked for that song every time we get in the truck, and she screams live to the top of her little four-year-old voice just screaming, live. And those verses in that song where it talks about dry bones will come alive again, dead man walk. This is it, man. Every one of us out here are dead unless we have Christ. <clears throat> Let me read this to you. This came from uh, John Eldridge. The story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears it. Does that make sense? 
the enemy is going to come after you hard. Every, in your mind, in your heart, the people that are, you surround yourself with, he's coming after you and he wants to wreck your life story to where you have nothing to do with, with Jesus. I must read it again. The story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears it. Guys, I came to boot camp first time, 2017. I had it all together. I didn't have, it. I didn't have any problems. None. I was wrong. <laughs> Guys, I, I sat here right where you're at, and I didn't think I needed any healing. I didn't think I needed any... Anybody praying over me. I had a good camp, but I wasn't in it. I was just skimming across the water. I was there. I showed up. <clears throat> Lynn Beard, I'm sorry, I wish he could be here this year. He's not here this year. Lynn Beard, he spoke in one of the smaller sessions that year. I liked what he had to say. He invited some guys down. Hey, we're going to pray after we get done speaking. Why don't you come down? Come get some prayer. I liked what he said. I'm going to go get prayed, prayed over. So I come down right over here. And I come down, and Lynn, Lynn looks at me. He says, what are you struggling with? What can I pray for you? Nothing. I'm not struggling with, with anything. Just say a magic prayer. Do something fancy. Make it sound pretty, right? And I know his prayer. I don't remember what he said. I, don't, I, was, I was like, I don't know what he said. But he prayed. He put my hand, his hand on my shoulder, and we prayed. And I'm sure, really, in his mind, he was like, God, please kick this guy in the teeth because he does not, he's not hearing from the Lord. So I left. Bitter. I had a good time. I enjoyed the camp. But I was bitter. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't get the aha moment, but I didn't know what I didn't know what to I didn't know to look for it. I didn't I didn't know to open up my heart. I didn't know to go to the Lord in prayer. I didn't know I didn't know how to get there. And I'll tell you why. I grew up in a church. I grew up in a God fearing family. We we were at church every Sunday. My parents are celebrating forty seven years of marriage. I think right now. Close family. We grew up in a church of Christ there in Abilene, super conservative. We talked about the storybook Jesus, as they talked about earlier. We, I, was, I memorized scripture. I memorized the stories so that I would be able to retell them when I was asked about it. Never did I ever, I never learned how to get into Scripture, or how to live out Scripture, or even have a relationship with Jesus. I just knew that I believed God. I believed that, he was, he, that we had a God. I believed in Jesus. I believed that he died for our sins. I didn't do anything about it. I was just going to, I was just there along for the ride.
Guys, I found myself just living a life based on the do's and the don'ts, right? You knew, we knew right from wrong. We knew what to say. How many, how many know exactly how to tell somebody what they're wanting to hear, right? You can make it up. I can bullshit real well. All of that growing up, where I felt like I had to perform, I had to be right, I had to do in order so that I could be. I felt like I had to do all this other crap so that I could be his son. It was all based on performance. It was all based off of comparison. Some of you guys were uh, at Beltway this Sunday. David talked about that. You know, if, you're, if you're living your life in a performance-based, you're gonna have to have the compar- comparison. It's all, they, they go together to where you... So I was here at boot camp comparing each and every one of you to me. Like, well, that guy's going to hell. Whoever I pointed to, I didn't mean you. <laughs> what? Oh. So, it comes to, you have the comparison, the performance. It leads to judge, being judgmental. You sit in your little circle, and you point fingers at everybody. Like, and then you compare yourself to them. At least I'm not as bad as that guy. I didn't have Bill's story. God, I wouldn't want Bill's story. But I also felt that I didn't have a story. Because I didn't have a story that was in the trenches like Bill. I didn't, I I grew up in the church. I was supposed to have it together. Why would I have a story? Fast forward a little bit, high school, college. I was telling my testimony the other day to the leadership team and some of the guys in the prayer tent and other, other guys lead, uh, doing some testimonies and, and I got done telling, telling mine, which was a long, lengthy version of what you guys are getting. And Tut, he pops up. Hey, <laughs> you're a chameleon. I was, but I could, I could be whoever you wanted me to be. If you, if, if you were a coach, I could do what you wanted me to do. If I was in your class, I could do what I, you wanted me to do. I could say what you wanted me to say. I knew how to mold in, in myself or my words, or I knew how to intermingle. I could, I could hang out with the jocks. I could hang out with the nerds. I could hang out with the band guys, and I, would, I could fit in anywhere. Now, don't hear me wrong. There, there are good characteristics in that across the board, but when you don't have an identity in Christ and you don't know who you are really, you're just lying to everybody. You're lying to yourself. I ended up finding myself living two lies. A religious life, fake it till you make it. Um, I'd go to church, get the Get the bulletin, get my pen out, check boxes. Lord's Prayer, done. Song, whatever, whatever, done. 
That was it. I was just there. I was checked out. I was just going through the motion. Checking boxes, guys. Just checking boxes. I had no relationship. Parties, women, porn, alcohol, all week. But you know what? I was there church Sunday morning, sitting next to my parents. My dad knew. God, he did more stuff than I did, probably. Isn't that right, Randy? Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> I needed Christ, man. I didn't know it. I thought believing in him was enough. If I went through the motions, it'd be enough. All the lies, all the hypocrisy, living two lives, just drowning in my own filth, guys. Writing these notes down the other day, my, my sweet grandma. She used to say, if you shit in your nest, you gotta sit in it. And she'd follow it up with, it's in the Bible. <laughs> it's in Proverbs, I'm sure. <clears throat> oh, that was fun. So the first boot camp, told that story. Didn't, it didn't end up like I thought it was gonna end up, right? I knew there was something missing. Second year came around. I knew that there was, there was more to, to life than just checking the boxes, doing it right, making sure you guys thought that I was a Christian. Man, he's got, it all, he's got all his stuff together. What is he doing? Don't do what I was doing. I knew there was more, but I was still stuck in judgmental phase. Guys, I, I don't who, who, did y'all do the prophetic healing? Who, who came to that? That's awesome. Quinn, his team, awesome. I thought they were a joke. I sat back there in the corner. Just magic show, watching the magic show. I don't know what they're talking about, Holy Spirit. What is the heck? What are you talking about? We're talking about Holy Bible, where I came from. I know Holy Spirit. Prof- prophecy. What are you talking about? I sat back there and judged everybody in that group. So they're making deals with Jesus. They're making deals with God in my head. I said, all right, call me out. Make it happen. Do it. Whole time, they don't ever call me. No guy in the red shirt stand up, no, nothing. All right, I'm going fishing. That's what I'd better be doing anyway. So I walked right over there, got my stuff, and I started walking back over here, and I thought, thought again to myself, okay, here, here's the deal. Okay, God, 
I'm gonna walk from my, my, my cabin right over here. I'm gonna walk through this pavilion, through that corner right there. Quinn was sitting right over here doing his prophetic before I left. I said, if I, if I walk right into Quinn, I'll talk to him. But you're gonna have to make that happen because otherwise I'm going fishing. So I leave, I walk, out, I walk right through here. There's nobody in here, gone, empty. <laughs> I'm going fishing. I walk right over here, guys. Turn that corner, there's a breezeway. <laughs> the only person sitting over there, Quinn Conley. busted <laughs> alright God here we go so I walk over put my fishing pole down put my tackle box down and I'm sure he was, he was in de deep thought he was looking out over the river and I sat down I didn't say a word until I looked at him <laughs> I said go that's it I said go he thought for a second. <laughs> He's like, oh, Lord. <laughs> Holy Spirit downloaded to Quinn. Coach, he just, he read my mail, guys. I had never met him in my life. Never spoke a word to him. I met him. I just all I knew was him as coach. I didn't know even know he had a first name. I just knew coach. <laughs> he told me stuff about my wife and our new, at that time, daughter, just a few months old at that time. He brought he he was talked specifics about conversations that only my wife and I had had. <laughs> Wrecked me. What the hell just happened? <laughs> like I said, guys, I, I knew God. I believed in God. That's when he showed up. He showed up in my life, and it's never been the same. What just happened? What was that? I left with questions. Again, the Holy Spirit. I didn't know that. I didn't know what that meant. I started asking God questions because I figured now He could hear me, right? <laughs> who am I? I didn't know who I was. Yeah, the whole time before all was my identity was found in what I was doing. Jesus. That's not God's plan. I created you. You are who I say you are. And you're my son. <laughs> Everything I knew just flipped upside down. So then, the Holy Spirit led me through the scriptures that I memorized. He led, led me all through those storybooks the storybook Jesus's 
And I saw them in a new light. I saw them living. The life came off, out of the Bible, came off the, out of the scriptures. Life, life began. So guys, that's one thing everybody's talking about is, 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 is getting, getting in the, into the word, but in, get into it and ask God to show up in there to you. Let him speak to you. John 14, 26. I went to, I went to the Lord in prayer and I was like, God, you're gonna have to lead me. I don't know what to do. Uh, this is all different to me. Everything's new. Everything's different. This feeling's different. Peace. <laughs> the battle was over. The, the whole splitting the, the life deal, trying to please somebody over here or please somebody over here just to make myself look good. It was over. I had that choice because I know whose I was. John 14, 26. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I have told you. Thank you, Jesus. Guys, we gotta be who he has created us to be. You gotta trust in the Holy Spirit. No more posing. You're gonna, you're gonna do a lot of shit in your nest. <laughs> Knowing whose you are and trusted in the Holy Spirit, and that is what the enemy fears the most because now he knows that, he knows that you know who, who your father is and that you're his son. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna share another story. Happened today. Well, six months ago, it started, and then it, it showed up again today. Dinner with Rodney and his wife. My wife was there. We don't usually do three. three we usually take the wives. Donette had a download from the Holy Spirit for me. Now, years ago, I wouldn't have even listened to what she was saying. So, okay, tell me, what's up? She said, Caleb, I see a tree. I see a tree of life. I see, I see roots, roots that are fed. I see just healthy life from that tree. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you. I don't, I don't know... At that time, I didn't know what it meant. I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't have any correlation at the time. Holy Spirit will do that. It may sit and fester for a little bit and then it'll pop up. So getting ready for boot camp this year, I'm gathering all my stuff. I grab notepads and Bible and, and I, grab this, uh, I grab this journal. I don't do journaling very often. Rarely. But I grab the journal because I thought I might, I might write in Again, because the last time I wrote in it was last boot camp. So I'm, I'm out here today, and Quinn says, you got 37 minutes. Go spend it with the Holy Spirit. So all right, good, I got 37 minutes. Go work on my speech. God said, nope. Put it down. Don't do that. 
I only got a couple hours. And I really hadn't thought about it. He said, nope, just sit there. So I sat there. And I finally pulled out this journal. And I know you guys can't see it. But you have to use your imagination. But there's a tree on the front of that journal that's been on my end cap for two and a half years, on my end table. It's got roots coming out of it. It says, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. He is like a tree planted by streams of, of water which yields its fruit in season. And whatever he does, is pro he prospers. <laughs> Guys, I did I came over and told Ron, I said, come here, we, we gotta change this whole thing up. <laughs> I don't know if I can, I can even use what I wrote. Your wife just kicked me in the teeth six months ago and I didn't even know it. Guys, that's my story. Um, it's a story of a battle in, in, the, in your mind, right? Uh, when, we, when, we're, when we're able to spend time with, with our Father, with our Father, not at our Father, with our Father in prayer, He shows up in mighty, mighty big ways. I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read this again because this thing just keeps coming up. The story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears it. Thank you, Jesus. So what Caleb didn't tell you was after he talked about my wife kicking him in the teeth, she's only 5'1", so be more like kneecaps maybe. Um, we walked over to the worship room to just kind of center down because this is just awkward. I'm not a professional speaker. I'm a plumber. I deal with crap all the time, so it's good. I deal with dudes all the time, so it's kind of the same thing, right? Um, yeah, somebody caught that one. <laughs> we walked over there, and they've got that loop going with the music and the people speaking into it and Sherry Salsgaber speaks into it and stuff like that. We walked in the room and as soon as we walk in and walk over to a couple of chairs, Sherry's speaking and she quotes that scripture, that exact scripture that he had just told me about it back here. So the Holy Spirit stuff is real. It's not a magic show. It's a big time deal. Something else I didn't tell you, we were at boot camp, the last one, before everything got shut down. We were co-leading a fire team together. First session on Friday morning, our team had jailed really good that night, Friday night. Anybody else jail really good last night? Lock up like brothers, real manhood, stuff like that, on all the BS. Okay, so we were sitting there. Next session, Friday morning, Caleb's nowhere to be found. Like, is he just like taking a dump? Is he hiding somewhere? What's he doing? Doesn't show up. Finally comes down about 10-ish, something like that. So we do the sessions, we go back for the last session before lunch. Uh, we go back and do our little fire team, go to the foyer. Well, that's when we find out where Caleb was. The guys in our fire team, I knew their backstories. I knew them all personally. I knew the crap they'd been through, the stuff that they'd put themselves through, the stuff they'd put their family through. Caleb didn't know them at all. Holy Spirit did, though. And the reason Caleb wasn't down there is because while he was at the room, before he left, Holy Spirit downloaded to him a half-page journal entry for each dude. 
And each dude, I mean, to the point of like the private details that only I knew and maybe some that I didn't even know. There was no other explanation for it. There's no, they didn't have a secret meeting or anything like that as a divine download to a knucklehead like him because he's a knucklehead like me because God uses everybody and everything to bring glory and honor to his name. And he took those guys, and that guy's, here's what, we had veterans in there, I'm a former Marine, we had Army guys in there, we had Air Force guys in there, we had all these tough guys posing how tough they were, hiding behind their identity, and it wrecked them. We had guys crying, we had guys slobbering, we all the kind of stuff, everything they hate with COVID now, just don't get the liquids on you, whatever. They were having, we had a little meltdown, and we finally went to lunch. And it just gelled, because God used that to bring his sons together and draw them out of their posing and allowed them to be who he created us to be because there is nothing that we can pose that will ever be better than what God made us to be, period. You can pose it all day long, but it will never be. He's the creator of the universe. He knows every single thing about you. We hide behind it because we think we know better. He does. He knows all the time. All right, there's a lot of things that lead us to posing. We're not, we don't come out of the womb posing. It doesn't take us long. Pretty quick. Toddlers, we're posing right away. Um, but there's something usually that sets you down a path or a lot of somethings. Um, mine was when I lost my dad. I was 25 years old, just got out of the Marine Corps, home camping. We went out to go to the lake, go fishing. And uh, he was 48 years old, three years younger than I am now. So he never even made it into his 50s. Uh, it's probably a blessing in itself. Um, we were fishing. We were checking a trot line. Three o'clock in the morning, storm comes up. Boat sinks. He's wearing waders because he'd had numerous back surgeries, so the water hurt his back. And we're 100 yards from shore, 30 foot of water. Boat goes down. Um, we start trying to swim back to the bank. Couldn't get back to the bank because the waders were filling up with water. And I remember just trying to get the waders off of him. I had a knife, but it was in the boat. It went down with the boat. And finally, my dad sends, he's like, he knows. Me and my dad were super tight. I know a lot of guys didn't have a good earthly father. You got a great, number one, heavenly father. But all the guys had a really sucky earthly father. I didn't. Very blessed in that. He was a great guy. And uh, he saved my life that night because he knew that I would not leave him. And he told me to leave him to get help. And my last memories of him. Uh, my dad never showed fear. I mean, he was just, just that guy. He was a man's man. Never showed fear. But as the, my last two memories of my father, as, as, as the water's overtaking him, he's screaming my name. The next memory is when they finally find his body six hours later and put him in a body bag and put him in the back of a hearse. That's where, got, that's where that left with my dad. And that's when my posing started. And I became a world-class poser because I was a failure. I was wrapped up in condemnation, shame, because I was a Marine. I should have been able to save my dad and save my family all that heartache. I should have this, I should have that, all these things in my mind. And that was a playground for the enemy for the next 14 years. But God, then God showed up because he was sick and tired of seeing me destroy not just myself, but my family. 
Because guys, just like Randy said this morning, any darkness we're walking in, we take it into our house. And it immediately goes on our family. And we are letting the enemy have his way with our family every day because we won't man up and say, you know what? I'm tired of faking. I'm tired of being a poser. And I want everything. I want to completely surrender to Jesus. But I'm afraid of what that would look like. So I would say I would die for my family, but I'll let the enemy play with them all day long. So we hide behind that. We hide behind our posing and the collateral damage from that. We think it doesn't affect anybody else, it's just us. But my wife, and my wife, see, my wife and I, this is like way later, I went through a divorce. Donette and I met in 1998, and she is literally the best. She is the best person I have ever known on this planet, period. Uh, she's a little crazy because she's with me. Um, she's got really bad judgment in that. So that's one character flaw she has. Um, <laughs> Reese knows that because she and Reese have a really, really friendly relationship. Not in that way. Come on. Not like that. <laughs> not that friendly. Um, I'm fixing to quote a line from Frozen. Awesome, right? Where you at, Fisher? It's better than Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Eddie. Come on, babe. <laughs> Conceal, don't feel, put on a show, make one wrong move and everyone will know. Who's living that way? Who's concealing everything? Who is afraid that if your wife or your kids or your coworkers or anybody else knew what was really going on in, in the back of your mind when you're driving down the road by yourself or you're sitting there and watching, vegging out in front of Netflix, football, whatever else, who feels like if they are ever exposed that it's done, that it's just gonna crumble all around them, that their wife, that full-length mirror that is your wife would be done with you? I know I felt that way because I'm supposed to be strong, I'm supposed to be tough, I'm supposed to be all these things. And if I ever knew, if she ever knew just how screwed up I was inside, she'd be done with me. But when all this started coming to a head, at that point I was probably drinking 16, 18 beers in the evening because panic and anxiety was starting to fester up. Here's a little plumbing analogy for you. All the crap you keep stuffing down, sooner or later it's gonna seep out just like a cracked sewer pipe and it's gonna get on everybody and everything. Everything. Then I'm gonna to come to your house and charge you a bunch of money to fix it. Um, <laughs> amen. <laughs> um, it started seeping out, but it would take alcohol to get me there. And I'd sit on that back porch after I drank 18 beers, smoked a pack of cigarettes, everything else, and get enough of a buzz going on then the tears would come because all that shame and condemnation that jackass the enemy had me wrapped up in would come in and it starts seeping out and finding its way to the surface. And my kids saw it because I never engaged with them and it just, just kept spiraling out. But God. She told me that night, she finally told me, she said, you're, because I kept saying, I should have been able to do something, I should have been able to do something, I should have been able to save him. She said, your pride 
and your arrogance is gonna be your downfall. And I said, hide and watch, see if it is. Answered arrogance with arrogance. Collateral damage, the short version is injury inflicted on someone other than the intended target. So like I said, Donna and I were both coming out of divorces. We had met in October. We moved in together in November, dated for six weeks. Don't suggest that at all because that's just bad, bad, all kinds of baggage. Problem is she had an 11-year-old daughter and 8-year-old son. Both of them, the family had been through divorce, abuse, abandonment. They were fearful. They were desperate for direction and leadership. They were desperate for an authentic man to walk in their house. Didn't even know what they were looking for, but they knew they needed that. What they got was a fool that was faking his way through life and just trying to get laid. That's all it was. My wife's a short little blonde haired girl, and I was 28 years old. I did not care about the kids, didn't know anything about fathering a kid, didn't care to father a kid. All I know is I wanted to hook up with that, that little blonde. That was it. So... The opportunity that I had to truly influence the lives of those two kids that all the other men that had walked into their lives had never done because they were posers just like I was and I did not do it because I didn't, didn't know anything else. I was hiding behind myself, hiding behind all those lies. All I could see was my own woundedness and selfishness. It was all about me and my family suffered dearly because of it. So just a quick question here. And these are questions that terrify me to ask myself, and it terrifies me to even ask the people around me, but here we go. What kind of man do you think you are? In your heart of hearts, what kind of man do you think you are? What would your wife say? Or your girlfriend? Your kids? And oh, by the way, how many single guys we got in here? Hands up. Yeah, you don't get off the hook, because you got people in your life too, if you've noticed. Um, Ask them, what kind of person do they think you are? What kind of man do they think you are? Uh, single or married, you're posing and fix, inflicts collateral damage everywhere you go, okay? I'm gonna be a little colorful here because it's the only way to do it. I can tell you what my family would have said when I was at the height of my posing. I was called Hitler because I just wanted what I wanted done when I wanted it done and I would not back off of that. You had chores, do the chores, didn't care why you didn't do the chores. It didn't matter to me that you're, you'd already been so wounded by a man that you didn't even know what to do. You'd never been taught that, but I'd been taught that, so I was gonna inflict that on you. Collateral damage, unintended target. Asshole was another big word. My wife, <laughs> I've got a lot, a lot of words, and I would sit there and I would, run my mouth until I wanted it to be right and I wanted her to agree that I was right. And I wasn't gonna shut up until she did. I would bury something, I'd dig it back up, beat it to death some more, and then bury it and I knew where to find it every single time and dig it up every single time. She told me years later after Jesus had got a hold of us what she used to do, after I'd finally said my piece, and I turned to walk out of the room, she'd be like. Did y'all see that? She'd step behind me and just flip me off as I walked out of the room. Okay, so, does that seem like a woman that was feeling safe, feeling valued, feeling protected, feeling nurtured? No, no, she was damaged, 
and she was wounded by so many other men and this other dude who came in life and did the same thing. They didn't feel safe around me. I never physically laid a hand on any of them, but my tongue and my mouth were worse than any baseball bat, ever. Matthew 12, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And my heart was a very dark and broken place. Collateral damage and posing. My wife really suffered. My daughter, man, she's still walking through darkness because of it. Um, this is a men's camp. My son is, my son is here. This is third camp, okay? First two really haven't stuck that well. We're hoping about the third one. <laughs> um, just kidding. He's a good guy, and I love him. I came into his life when I was eight years old, and his mom was trying to be everything for him. As so many moms are today, whether they're divorced or married, they're trying to fill every gap of every space because the husbands are not stepping up. They're either becoming, and don't take me wrong here, I love hunting, football, all that crap, but our wives are widows to those things because we love doing those things. Why? Because they're fun and we got some control over them, but we don't have to face the deep parts of our soul as long as we're keeping ourselves full of all that bullshit out there all the time. It's okay to do those things, but they can't be the number one thing. God has got to be the number one thing. Your wife has got to be number two. And that's hard for a plumber to say because number two only means one thing to a plumber. Period. <laughs> so, she's got to be your second, whatever. And then your kids are outside of that, but it's all got to be under the covering of Christ. Corey suffered immensely because I was not the man that I needed to be. And I didn't even know how to be that man because I wasn't walking with the Father. And you can only find your authentic manhood by walking with Jesus. Because if you try to do it under the way, you try to do what the world says, you're gonna end up in a ditch, man, every time. Hmm. But God. 2009, he showed up and wrecked my world because my life was taking me down a natural path that led me to anxiety, panic attacks, panic attacks, drinking too much, different medications, all these things. And he walked in and said, oh, is that enough? Are you done? And he was waiting right there. It's just like the prodigal. Every one of us has been a prodigal or are the prodigal right now. And he not only was waiting for me, there's a great song talking about how he gave me his robe and gave me his ring and just clothed me and fed me. He's not just waiting to bring you back like, all right, come on back in. Come on back in. I'll let you come in here. I'll let you be my servant. No, he welcomes you in. He kills the fatted calf. He comes in and just lavishes his love on you because he has unending love. He, there's no limits to his love. So he calls me in. He brought us into a community of believers that started healing ourselves, and a lot of them were right in this room. 
really one in particular that I won't even look at because I'll ball like a friggin' baby if I do. Uh, Dennis Greer. A very instrumental part of laying aside that false self and laying aside that poser is you've got to be able to forgive yourself. I had to forgive myself for all the things Jesus had already forgiven me for. All the things I had done and all the things the enemy had convinced me that I had done were were just lies. Scripture says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It also says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I did not love myself. There was nothing there to love. There's nothing that I saw inside of me that was worthy of love. So why would I? I could love my neighbor, but I didn't really care about loving myself. Sounded selfish. (coughs) That's where I got all boogered up and gummed down. I had to accept his forgiveness and I had to forgive myself if I ever wanted to lay down the false self and lay down the poser and walk away from it. Forgiveness, especially of yourself, is a day-by-day thing and actually he commands us to forgive and that includes forgiving yourself. Hmm. You may have to do it a thousand times but you just keep on doing it until it takes root in your heart because I'm telling you at the end of the day, you can do it all day long and you're fine you think you're having a pretty good day and you're, you're walking with Jesus and there's rainbows and unicorns and all this crap and you're just feeling really good, then everything quiets down. You're in there and you're brushing your teeth and the enemy comes in and says, hey, Daryl, you remember that thing you did 20 years ago when nobody else knew? No, no, you're still a POS, brother. I don't care what all those guys say. You're still that piece of crap that you wore back then. You always will be. So you might as well just keep on posing because if anybody sees that, it's all gonna fall apart. That's what he loves to do. He's the accuser. But that's where you tell that punk to kick his ass can down down the street and get out of your life because that doesn't work there anymore. Because he does not have that authority. You know why? Because that's not who I am anymore. Jesus says who I am and I am forgiven. I am a beloved son. I am a prince in his kingdom. I will rule in the heavenlies. I mean, just all these things he says about us. Jesus trumps everything and everyone. He has the final say in who I am, not me, not the world, and damn sure not the enemy. We get the, he gets the final say in who we are. He has restored, restored so much in spite of me and my shortcomings. The main area I was not forgiving myself in, and it was still a battle, and still is a battle to this day, was how my posing had affected my family, and especially Corey, my son. The enemy would bring that up on a regular basis, basis when I saw him struggle through the things that he struggled in. Because if he had had any kind of direction, and listen, I'm not condemning myself anymore. God has done a work in that, but I'm just telling you what the enemy had a playground in. He walked a lot of hard paths because he did not have any direction. And if you think you don't have influence, look around. God put us on this planet to have influence around us. And he walked a hard, hard path for a lot of things because I was not there to guide him and show him and disciple him. In spite of all of that, though, in spite of all that, God is doing a work in his life. God is moving in his life. God is redeemed his mom and I, and we get to pour into his life, and he and I have a better relationship now. The day that he decided to call me Pops was one of the best freaking days I ever had in my life. 
Amen. One of the best days. Mm. So, a big part of forgiveness is also asking others to forgive you, whether they extend it or not. Forgiveness is a command, not a suggestion, because he knows what it does for your heart. So, uh, you know I love you. And I do ask that you forgive me for not being the man that I needed to be. And I know you do. And I I just love that because you've got such a big heart as much as you walk through. But guys, we have... I've got to finish that. Please forgive me for not being the man I needed to be, but I will always be the man that God calls me to be now. I might struggle and I might fail, but he will redeem that every time because God restores what the enemy has stolen, what moths have eaten, and what the rust has destroyed. God restores every bit of that. Mm, Come what may, baby. (laughs) Biggest thing is, guys, we cannot... hmm? (laughs) man we can't do this on our own you will be taken out you've got to have brothers around you and I've got so many sitting in this room that have walked this path with me and continue to walk it with me and we walk with them and the enemy craps his pants when godly men come together because he is so fearful of it because he knows he's already defeated. And when the sons of God start stepping up and taking authority back in this world and taking it back, he hauls ass because he's terrified of it. Just walk in, that's all you gotta do. The longer we pose, the more ground we give to the enemy and the ground is given for us by God to defend, nurture, and prosper and to take back. And this world is in dire need of men who are walking in authentic biblical manhood. I'll say this one more time. Well, I'm gonna say this. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all you do be done in love. Be like men, just walk in it. Nothing you could ever pose, no disguise you could ever create will ever be better than the true you that God made you to be. The true test of a man, the beginning of his redemption, actually starts when he can no longer rely on what he's used all his life. The real journey begins when the false self fails. Lay it down, guys. Walk away from it. Be done with it because it is killing us and it's robbing us of the authentic, true life that God has called us into. Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All right, I'm going to get weird on you, then I'm going to wrap this up because I'm really tired of being up here. Not because I don't love you guys, but this is just really uncomfortable. Just saying. All right, I'm even gonna kind of bust out a poem prayer on you guys. And I want all of y'all to stand up 
And if you're comfortable with it, and if you're not, kind of do it anyway, because it's a cool thing to do. Put your hands out in front of you to receive. They literally have a poem about the poser. Don't know who wrote it, but here it is. It says, how have I been hiding? Where is it that I go? Do you see me falling? Show me, I need to know. What is my role, my mission? Give me eyes to see. Because those that I love to serve are right in front of me. Expose the lies I tell myself that only serve to bind. Help me lower the masks the ones I hide behind. And as we name these dark places that have me trapped inside, help me not find more places where I'll only run and hide. Really listen to this last part. Jesus, only you can do this. I cannot do this on my own. Free and save me from myself. Help me unlearn what I have known. Please, Jesus, help me unlearn what I have known. Blessings on all you guys. Thank you so much for putting up with us. We love you.